Julia, thank you so much. Uh, it's really lovely to be here in church with you and also to join those who are joining us uh, live streaming. So as Julia has said, I've been given the task of opening this little series on fasting as we continue to think about the spiritual disciplines and the way that Jesus lived. And um, as we come, we hope, to the end of this third lockdown and stay-at-home order, we're probably looking for some really encouraging teaching. And maybe fasting isn't uh, high on the list, as Julia suggested, of encouragements. But my prayer is that actually as we look at this much-neglected spiritual discipline that actually features in the Bible much more regularly than we might think, my prayer is that actually God will really bless us, that it will be a huge encouragement for us individually and as a church. So I'm just going to pray for us as uh, we begin. Let's just uh, close our eyes. Let's just still our hearts before God. Lord, we thank you that we are here. And we pray that you will speak to us now. We thank you for the gift of your word in the Bible. And we thank you that you are the word made flesh in Jesus. So we pray that you will speak to us, that you will encourage us, and that you will fill us with your presence, with your peace, and with your hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you noticed this rather strange visual aid here that I'm going to begin with, and actually I might ask my children to come up to help, and actually all of you can help. So um, on the table here, is a glass vase, and it's full of stones, actually, from our driveway. And uh, the glass vase represents my life, represents your life. And the stones represent all the things that we fill our lives with. So, children, what sort of things are your lives filled with? Playing football. Playing football? Oh, I didn't expect that one. TV. I did expect that one. Anything else? Video games. Of course. Anybody else? What sort of things are our lives filled with? Um, golf, not at the moment, but uh, usually. Um, if we can imagine that all these things, all these stones represent different things that fill our lives. You got any other ideas? Going on my trampoline. Oh, yeah, I'm still allowed to do that. Brilliant. Anything else? Riding a bike. Riding a bike. So all the things that we do. Playing with my chickens and my dog. Brilliant. This could go on all sermon, couldn't it? Um, <laughs> All the things. And the point of this illustration is that actually our lives are very full. Now, it might feel like our lives are not particularly full. It might feel like we've actually abstained from lots of things over the past year. Seven months, I think, of the past 12 months have been at -at stay-at-home orders. So it will feel like we have abstained from a lot of things. But my sense is that our lives are very full before the pandemic. And actually, even though they might have seemed less full, new things have taken the place of regular activities. And I imagine we are spending much, much, much more time in front of our computer screens and our TV screens than we did. And so my suggestion is that our lives are absolutely full. And included in this are shopping, all the time we spend shopping. includes going to church, which we're able to do today. Um, It includes cooking, all our hobbies, uh, maybe gardening, uh, the sport that we enjoy. And my suggestion is that for most of us, our lives are absolutely full to the brim, like this vase is full. Our lives are packed. But God longs to pour his presence and his love and his grace into our lives and into our hearts. 
And the problem is that so often our lives are too full. Our lives are so full that we don't have room, we don't have space for all that God wants for us. And so many of the practices of Jesus, so many of the spiritual disciplines that he practiced and he taught us to also inhabit, recognize the truth that choosing to abstain from some of the things that fill our lives enables us to be filled with something far better, to be filled with his presence and his love. And I want to suggest that this is what fasting is all about, creating a little bit of space for God to fill us with his love. So you might like to just be focused on that visual aid as I speak. It's about creating space, about recognizing that our lives are so full. Fasting is about abstaining from some things to create some space so that we might receive his love. Now here's a definition of fasting um, as we begin considering this important spiritual discipline. Biblical fasting is a willingness to abstain from food for a period of time in order to rest in God's presence, to pray and to seek his will. I'll just say that again. Biblical fasting is a willing abstinence from food for a period of time in order to rest in God's presence, to pray, to seek his will. One writer said this, that fasting is feasting, but not on food, rather on the Lord and doing his will. What does it look like in practice? Well, In the Bible, there's no particular time limit. We read uh, that uh, some great heroes of the Bible fasted for 40 days. We read that of Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Joshua. For most, it seems much shorter, maybe skipping two or three meals, maybe 24 hours, something like that. It's fasting from food, usually not water. And uh, it can be both individual, something we just do on our own, but it can also be communal. There are lots of times we read in the Bible that the people of God fasted. You read the Acts of the Apostles, that uh, fasting and praying was a very, very regular pattern for those first Christian communities. Well, I'd like to turn to the Bible, and there are three passages I want to look at with you this morning. Um, The first two set a kind of theological context for fasting, And the third one is more practical, and I'm going to spend a bit more time unpacking the third one. I've got a couple of helpers here who are going to read our Bible readings. And the first reading uh, is right from the beginning of the Bible. If you've got Bibles at home, or if you've got uh, Bibles with you, then do look up these passages. First of all, Anastasia, you're going to read our first passage. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the tree, uh, trees in the garden? Brilliant. Such a familiar passage, isn't it? What uh, theologians call the fall. Genesis chapter 3, we have the creation in six days, and then we have uh, man and woman on the sixth day in chapter 2 of Genesis, and then it all goes wrong in Genesis chapter 3. And one thing that I have to confess to you, I'd never noticed before researching this sermon, is that the fall concerns food. Isn't that a terrible thing to admit, having uh, been a pastor for 20 years? I had not made that connection between the fall, between that temptation in the Garden of Eden and food. Eating was the moment when the world fell. So original sin has to do with food, and specifically the inability not to eat something that is in front of us. Now, the temptation itself was not food. The temptation was to redefine good and evil. The temptation was to 
disobey God. That uh, question of the serpents, did God really say? The most ungodly question that has ever been uttered. But the means of temptation was food. It was pleasure. Notice those words, that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. And then there's this kind of interesting inversion in this story. In Genesis chapter 2, it's very clear that humankind was created to rule over the animals and the plants. But notice that the reverse happens here. It is the serpent, and it is a fruit from the plant world that is suddenly ruling over humankind. Our next passage is uh, going on a few centuries Anastasia. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Then Jesus was led by the, spirit, by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The Temptation of Jesus, another really famous passage. Uh, It's probably the first passage in the Gospels about Jesus' ministry. Uh, It's his preparation for ministry. It's the kind of first full account we come of, of Jesus' life. Forty days and forty nights of fasting in the wilderness. And we read, after that, he was hungry. And then the tempter came to him. And notice again that the temptation is over food. Turn these stones into bread. What a temptation for somebody as hungry as Jesus. And what's happening here is a replaying of Genesis chapter 3. You know, food was the point at which Adam and Eve fell. They fell into temptation. But at this point, Jesus resists and he succeeds and he defeats the tempter. How did Jesus succeed where Adam and Eve failed? Well, it has to do with his spiritual practices. Solitude, silence, fasting, and prayer. Jesus was at his strongest spiritually as the tempter faced him. And as a result, he defeated him. So fasting was the way that Jesus started his ministry. So that's a kind of theological context. The fall concerns food falling into temptation. Jesus' ministry begins with a reversal of the fall. He is victorious over the tempter. The third passage that Barnabas is going to read for us now is Matthew chapter 6. And it's some more detail about what Jesus wants from his followers. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Barnabas and Anastasia. You can go and sit down now. So, 
This passage I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking because it directly relates to us. So I hope Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 just set a bit of theological context to fasting. Uh, The lack of abstinence from Adam and Eve led to the fall, falling into temptation, disobeying God's command. Jesus' fasting, along with his practices of solitude and silence and prayer, had given him extraordinary strength to resist and to defeat the tempter, to reverse Genesis chapter 3. And it kind of points, ultimately, to Jesus' death on the cross that we'll remember particularly in a few weeks' time on Good Friday. Three things from this passage. Jesus, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount as teaching for his followers. It's not general teaching for anybody. It's for those who follow him. He's speaking to his disciples here, and he makes it very, very clear uh, that uh, there are three things. First of all, Jesus assumes that we will fast. When you fast, he says. The second thing I want to explore is that the Father will reward us when we fast. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, we read. And then thirdly, Jesus knew we would mess up. He talks about how others mess up by looking somber and being hypocritical as they fast. Fasting does present enormous challenges, and God knows that. So I just want to explore these three things from that teaching of Jesus. First of all, Jesus assumes that we will fast. This is the big elephant in the room, because most of us, if we're being honest, don't fast. I I imagine. Certainly that's my experience from other churches that I've been involved in the past, and it's the experience of my life um, as well. Fasting is one of the most neglected and forgotten practices, even though we see that it features in Scripture time and time again. And if we don't fast, we are certainly not alone. I fast rarely, and I am pretty grumpy uh, when I fast. I have to confess that we did this series on the spiritual disciplines exactly a year ago when I was vicar of a church in East Molesey, just the other end of Surrey from here. And um, so therefore, uh, it's great to have been given this topic because we've done it recently. But it wasn't until having somebody in our congregation preach on fasting that I thought, I've totally neglected this and I need to start. And I can say, I think, that I've fasted probably four times since then, which is not great. Uh, And two of those were in preparation for this sermon. So this is a discipline that I have almost entirely neglected um, and and willfully, I'm sad to say, uh, in many ways. But I'm being challenged again. Um, So... Jesus states, when you fast. We know Jesus fasted regularly. He prepared for his public ministry with 40 days of fasting. He assumes that his followers will fast. In fact, Jewish people at the time of Jesus would have fasted twice a week. They would have fasted on, I believe, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, So it was a regular discipline for almost every Jewish person. And the context for this passage from Matthew 6 is that Jesus is calling for three core disciplines. He's saying to his disciples, pray, fast, give to the poor. Now, I don't think we would challenge praying. I don't think we would challenge the need to give to the poor. And yet, somehow, we neglect fasting. But actually, Jesus is saying all three are essential if we are to follow him. So, why don't we fast? Why is it such a low priority for us? I think probably two reasons. Um, the first, of all, first of all, fasting has a bad reputation. 
I think this probably comes from the Middle Ages when fasting was taken incredibly seriously. It became very, very legalistic. It became kind of ascetic. Um, it was kind of like uh, mortifying the flesh. Um, and there was a massive reaction against it, I think, at the time of the Reformation. Um, and I think we're probably still living in that reaction to the discipline of fasting. But I think secondly, and probably even more so, the reason that fasting is so neglected is it is totally counter for culture that we live in, our modern 21st century culture. Popular culture has made a virtue out of immediate satisfaction, out of pleasing our desires. What's called the pleasure principle dominates in our culture. And we've got this strange thing in our culture where on the one hand, um, there is great food excess. We love food. We eat the food that we like. And we eat too much of it so often. But on the other hand, there is the worship of our bodies. There is this worship of body image, if you like. It's kind of illustrated by our supermarkets. If you walk into Tesco's, I don't know if you noticed, on the right there are all the magazines. And a lot of the magazines have very beautiful people on the front covers. I've never been on the front cover of a magazine. But very beautiful people. Um, and uh, their body, if you look carefully, their bodies often look amazing. Although I am told that... Um, it doesn't reflect the reality for nearly all these famous people. They will have filters, there will be Photoshop, there will be all sorts of professional lighting and professional photographers that make them look amazing when the reality is they probably don't. In fact, I didn't realize until a couple of months ago that there are filters on your Zoom. Have you ever come across this before? Anyhow, somebody thought I was looking particularly uh, unhealthy, probably, uh, and suggested... Actually, it was you, Rachel... Rachel, who's been staying with us these last few months, said, Richard, you should use filters on your Zoom. I never knew. Anyhow, these filters have now been applied to my Zoom. And I've had so many people saying, Richard, you're looking so well. (laughs) Anyhow, that's our fascination and preoccupation with body image. So you go to Tesco's and on the right, you've got all these magazines with all these amazingly beautiful and fit people. But then, as you come to the checkout, you've got all the Easter eggs. You've got all the chocolate bars. And you've got all the strawberry cheesecakes and everything else. And it's a mixed message, isn't it? On the one hand, we are totally obsessed with the way that we look and uh, we kind of worship these incredible human specimens. But on the other hand, we have all this food excess and all these foods that are so bad for us. Such mixed messages. The desire of our body is so strong. The desire for pleasure above all else. And this dominates our modern culture. Um, And I think it is the opposite of what God is calling us to in fasting. And of course, it's not just food. Um, We think about our massive consumption of all sorts of things, from clothing to cars to holidays to home furnishings, etc., etc. And how easy it is now just to buy things, uh, especially since the lockdown on Amazon. John Mark Comer says this, For so many of us, the desires of our body have come to hold power over us. In the battle with our flesh, we have become its slave, not its master. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. This is not freedom. This is slavery. So no wonder we have this idea that fasting is strange. Fasting is bizarre. It is totally counter the consumerist culture in which we live. So first of all, Jesus assumed we would fast, and we find that so difficult in our modern day. Secondly, uh, we read that the Father will 
reward us when we fast. Your father, Jesus says, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what are the benefits of fasting? I can think of three among many. First of all, possibly more than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us, the things that dominate our lives. Wonderful benefit of being a follower of Jesus is that we desire to be transformed. We desire to be transformed by his love, by his power, and by his grace. When we fast, the experience of God's people is that God reveals to us the things that are controlling us, the things that are holding back our transformation in his power. We cover up what is inside us with food and with good things. But when we fast, God tends to bring the things that are holding us back in our relationship with him to the surface. All those ugly attitudes like pride and jealousy and anger and bitterness will come to the surface when we fast. And so in this way, fasting really enables us to be spiritually renewed. It's an opportunity to abstain, to allow God to work in our lives, to allow God to show us the things that are controlling us, and to repent, to turn our back, and to embrace rhythms and patterns in our lives that will bring fruit. So, first of all, it reveals the things that control us. The second benefit of fasting is it reminds us that we're sustained by God. So in that passage, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, he says in answer to the devil, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain our whole being. It's only God who can sustain our whole being. And fasting is a biblical way to humble ourselves before God and to receive from him afresh. Fasting energizes our prayer life, and it leads us to a much richer and more intimate relationship with God. So the practice of fasting reminds us we're sustained by God. Thirdly, the benefit of fasting is it enables us to emphasize with those who can't afford to eat properly, with the poor. Around 50% of the world's population live on less than five pounds a day. And if you only have five pounds income a day, the reality is you have to spend all that money on food just to survive. And as we fast, as we experience hunger, which will be an alien feeling for many of us, we can begin to empathize and pray for those 50% of our fellow human beings who only have five pounds or less a day to live on. One of the great privileges of my life over the last 21 years has been an involvement in a mission in India, uh, right in the south of India. I don't know how many people have been to India, but if you go to India, you only need to step out of the airports uh, for a few moments to notice that there are many, many people around you who probably survive on less than five pounds a day um, and who go to bed with empty stomachs. And um, the mission I'm involved with, a wonderful Christian mission right in the south of India, very rural, very poor area. And um, it's just amazing, uh, it's an amazing privilege to, to meet the people there. But one of the things that strikes me each time is when I meet children, I assume that they're much younger than they are. So when I see a 14-year-old, I assume they're seven or eight because they're the same size as my seven or eight-year-old child. 
And it's just simply the fact that they do not have very much to eat. Um, we've got uh, the mission I'm involved with is 25 churches operating in very rural places. And many of these churches run after school programs because what they notice is that the children, the school day finishes at two there if you're in a state school. It's just not a good educational provision at all. And these five, six, seven, eight-year-olds are just on the streets after school. Why? Because their parents, or many of them only have one parent, are working and often working quite a way away in fields. And they often didn't get back. The parents didn't get back till eight or nine after dark. And what they discovered, these pastors, so these children were playing in the streets, um, getting up to no good on the whole after school. Then they would go back to their homes when it got dark at six o'clock, but still no one in the homes. And then they would fall asleep on an empty stomach. And often these children are only getting one meal a day. So the pastors thought we need an after-school program so we can give them a really fun time after school. We can help them with their homework, but we can also give them some food. And uh, I'm just humbled by how many, 50% of our fellow human beings do not have enough food to sustain their lives. So the practice of fasting helps us to empathize with those living in poverty. The third um, and final area from this passage I just want us to look at is uh, that Jesus knew we'd mess it up. Uh, He says uh, that don't look somber as the hypocrites do. Jesus knew we'd mess it up and he is, I know, forgiving and gracious as we do. So how should we go about fasting in practice? I just want to end with a few practical tips to encourage us and help us, having looked at uh, the theology, having looked at the reason why we find fasting so difficult, having looked at the benefits of fasting, let's just have a look at some practical tips that could help us and encourage us in this practice. First, make sure that our motivation for fasting is in the right place, not like the Pharisees who wanted to show off, who wanted to overemphasize the sacrifice they were making. Um, and uh, whose rewards were earthly, therefore, the praise of others. Let's make sure we're not doing it because of peer pressure. Uh, We're not doing it because we want others to think that we're really spiritual. No, we need to make sure that we have the right motivations, and that is simply just to draw closer to God and to receive from him. We mustn't do it out of a sense of guilt or duty either. We must have the right motivations. Secondly, I want to suggest that we start with small and intentional steps. And this is my only experience of fasting, is to do it in a way that is manageable. Um, And my experience is, uh, and something that I have found to be both feasible for me, because I am uh, a weak weak man, but also beneficial spiritually, is to miss two meals. To do it for 24 hours if I'm doing well, maybe 22 if I'm not doing so well. Um, but I tend, uh, the five times I've done it in the last year, and I really want to do it more regularly, by the way, is to fast from an evening meal the night before through to the next evening meal. So to miss two meals, breakfast and lunch. Um, and as you get to lunch, you can just about do breakfast. As you get to lunch, you'll start to feel hungry. Um, and it's amazing for me how I've found that that naturally leads me to prayer in a way that actually very little else does in the course of a busy day. But that sense of hunger does lead me to prayer. It does lead me to give thanks for all that God's given me, uh, but also um, to reflect on my life and to receive from God. So start with small and intentional steps. And those will be difficult, different for every one of us. It might be just missing one, one meal, perhaps. 
Third, make this a regular practice. Um, and again, there are absolutely no rules on this. Um, it might be that we want to trial missing two meals in a row once a week for six weeks and see what the impact is on us. Or it might be that we want to commit to doing it long term every month. But I'd encourage us to make it a regular practice. Fourth, notice what goes on during a time of fasting. Make a note of how it affects us and what kind of spiritual fruit there is from it, what God is saying to us, how um, our body and our hearts respond to abstaining from food. What emotions surface. Um, Great to use a journal. I'm terrible at doing that, but it is great to use a journal to write down so we can remember and reflect Fifthly, consider doing this corporately, maybe in your home group. It's really encouraging when we know other people are going through it as well. And maybe we can send messages through the day just to encourage one another. But it might be a great thing to experiment as a home group. We see in the early church that churches fasted and prayed together. Sixth, we could consider going beyond food. Um, Fasting is specifically about abstaining from food. I think it's really important to say that. But... It's, it's possible to fast from other things. Richard Foster, um, who wrote an absolute classic here, Celebration of Discipline, which I commend to you, wrote it in the 1980s. Um, and he talks about uh, fasting from other tenets of our contemporary culture. Um, so we might want to fast from people. Well, we've done quite a lot of that, haven't we, already? Um, we might want to fast from the media. I'm sure we could all do that. Um, we might want to fast from, the, he says, the telephone. I think these days, because it was written in the 1980s, we'd say the iPhone, wouldn't we, or our laptops. Um, so he says, uh, uh, why don't you fast from billboards? Well, it's probably online advertising uh, nowadays, isn't it? Um, and uh, discover what God will do if you abstain. Uh, from these things that fill our life up so much to such an extent that we often don't have room for God. So Jesus knew we would mess up. There are six practical tips that I hope help us in uh, experimenting and trialing this spiritual practice. So just as I finish, um, if you find this so difficult, if you break, if you struggle, please don't worry. Remember, it's it's a training program. Jesus is just wanting to train us as, as his disciples a little bit at a time with all the grace and the love and the mercy that he has to draw closer to God. And he says that fasting will help us to do that. So we mustn't feel guilty. That's not an appropriate response. Fasting is not one of the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Um, Jesus won't be mad at us if we really struggle with it and, and fail to fast. Rather, see fasting as an invitation, an invitation to draw closer to God, an invitation to receive love and mercy from God, to just take a few of the things that fill our life up to the brim out so that there is space for God to fill us and enjoy the experience. And until we trial it, and I just suggest maybe that one day where we decide to miss two meals, maybe just start with one meal, breakfast or lunch. And then build up. But when we trial it, we might discover that we really enjoy it, that we really value it, and that we find it very fruitful. A couple of um, quotations from uh, scholars just to end with. John Soper said this, Fasting is when you go without something that is good for you, doing so to make space for something better. And Dallas Willard said this. He said, Learning to be sweet and strong 
when you don't get what you want. That's the result of fasting. So I'll just draw you back to this visual metaphor as I finish. May we take a few things out of our lives, create space in our lives, so that we might receive God's love and mercy and peace afresh. And I believe that if we can start to fast and to start to make it a regular pattern, monthly, maybe even weekly, perhaps just one meal, perhaps two meals, perhaps more, then I believe that we will be filled to bursting with God's love and grace. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I'm going to end just with a short time of quiet and prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer just where we're seated. In fact, you might like to stand as you've been uh, sitting for a while, but don't feel you have to. Let's stand uh, if you'd like to. Maybe just put your hand out in front of you as a sign that you want to receive from God because he longs to fill us. And let's just wait on him. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we thank you that you are here. You are with us by your Holy Spirit. Come and fill our hearts afresh now, we pray. Just experience the Lord's love. Welcome his Holy Spirit into your hearts, whether you're here in church or at home. The Lord gives the gift of his presence, his Holy Spirit, to every person who comes to him, every person who confesses the things they've done wrong, who receives his forgiveness. And so let's receive the presence of God afresh and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. And just as the Holy Spirit is ministering ministering to us, maybe we could just identify some of those things that are making our lives so full that we have little space for God. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit maybe to identify one or, or two things. And in the silences, just say sorry to God for the so many times that our lives have been too full to experience the fullness of his love. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that you will teach us about this discipline of fasting. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will strengthen us to fast. Show us when and and how and even where you want us to fast. And Lord, I pray that we will all experience 
the fullness of your love and your grace and your peace as we fast. I pray that there will be great testimonies of your favor, of your fruitfulness in our lives. Lord, I pray that um, fasting may be an immense encouragement as we emerge from this difficult, dark time. Just as Jack and uh, the band lead us in a song, let's just continue to welcome God by his Holy Spirit into our hearts and to be filled with his love and his grace.